from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Okay, can everybody hear us out there? Can you see us and hear us? This is a first for us. We are doing a live version of our podcast. Mm-hmm. So when people hear this next week on our regular podcast, uh, just know that we have a live audience watching us right now on Zoom through the Theology of the Body virtual conference. Yeah. We want to say hello to everybody who's joining us via Zoom and, of course, everybody who's hearing this podcast in the normal format. We have been having such an amazing uh, experience with this virtual conference. It's been a tremendous blessing. We have nearly, at this point, Saturday at noon on the East Coast in the USA, we have nearly 70,000 people from around the world who have signed up for the virtual conference. It's been yeah, so exciting. quite and an exciting our, experience. Our household is very into it as well. Yeah. We, we are both watching talks and artists and our kids are, so it's kind of a great quarantine experience for us to be part of this. Very yeah, what nice. would have been some of the highlights that you've experienced watching talks, Wendy? Yeah, I just think it's an amazing thing to be able to hear what all these different people from so many different places are able to share. I really enjoyed, so far I've been listening, clicking on people that I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's such a treat, you know, because I, I know the people. And so I'm especially blessed to hear them contributing to the conference. Any uh, highlights from what you've heard from others' talks so far? Uh, you know, it was interesting. The first two talks I listened to both talked about the concept of gift, which we know is so important to Theology of the Body, and linked it to the idea of the present moment right now as, as gift. Not, there are so many ways that we can understand gift, but it was interesting to me that I was listening to two different talks, and they both talked about that. I felt like, okay, Lord, are you trying to tell me something here mm-hmm. about this present moment? And we're in a present moment where we're trying to do something new. It has yes, some technological challenges for us, so we'll... Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this present moment right now. Well, we're going to get to people's questions in, in just a minute. I want to tease out a few other highlights that I've experienced so far watching the talks. And can I just say, yeah, please. you can go ahead and type a question on the chat. Oh, yeah, please do, because this, this podcast is not going to work unless you guys type in your questions <laughs> exactly. in the chat. I'm sure we won't get to all of them, but we appreciate your questions. Yeah, so go ahead, and if you have a question on your mind or your heart, you can type it in the chat on our Zoom call, Yeah, and we'll be getting to those in, in just a minute. So the first thing I did when I signed on to the conference mm-hmm. was I went to my dear friend Vince Sherman's concert. Uh-huh. Uh, he's listed there as Army of Me. Vince and I were friends back in the 90s when he was a teenager. He mm-hmm. was a troubled teenager. I was in my 20s. And I kind of took him under my wing and we became good friends. And then I learned years later that he was in a band opening for the Dave Matthews Band on tour. And I thought, oh my gosh, what happened to my friend Vinny? Mm. And so he's been on quite a journey with his music, and he came to several of the courses through the Theology of the Body Institute yeah. and started bringing that music more, or that those themes more and more into his music. And uh, seeing him, he's sitting on his porch in Montana, 
giving this concert and there's beautiful mountains in the background. And I was so blessed by it. Really, really touched my heart. I called him up right away after I watched it and told him what a gift it was to me. So make sure you're checking out the artists as well as the the great talks in this virtual conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was blessed by Anna Carter this morning. I watched Mm -hmm. her talk Mm -hmm. and she's a woman who has struggled in her life with questioning her identity as a woman. She says when she was a young girl before puberty, she really wanted to be a boy and then she's had same-sex attraction, and she has really integrated John Paul II's teaching into her understanding of herself and her struggles. I was really blessed. Oh, I'm so glad she was able to participate in the conference. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. She said this one thing about how prayer has really opened up the aching of her heart in a beautiful way, got mm-hmm. her in touch with her deepest desires, and she says, I need I need to walk in the garden with the Lord where I'm able to be real and naked before him who loved me first with my my real desires, my real longings, to put them out in the light and to let the Lord in there to to help direct those longings to, to him. It was really a beautifully heartfelt presentation from Anna Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, we want to give a shout out and a, a word of thanks to all you guys on this live Zoom call, the premium pass holders for this conference, Mm -hmm. and know that you can, you know, with your premium pass, you are able to continue uh, watching these talks uh, past this weekend. That's that's the gift of the premium pass. We're really grateful for you. The payment for that premium pass goes right to supporting our global mission. So, we're really, really grateful to you for that. Mm -hmm. Shall we get to some questions? So, uh, this is a question from Rosemary. I'm finishing up a semester to be a certified spiritual director at St. Vincent Arch Abbey Seminary. I wanted to know what to read or courses to integrate John Paul II's teaching as a spiritual director. Well, that is a question I have some good answers for for you. Who, who submitted this question? Rosemary. Rosemary. Thank you, Rosemary. Rosemary, are you aware of the course that we offer at the Theology of the Body Institute on Precisely this, spiritual direction mm. and the theology of the body. We offered it for the first time, I think, in 2018. And I'm not exactly sure when it will be up in the, um, in the schedule of courses again, but I would imagine within the next year or two, we may be offering that again. So, if, you, if you're not already aware of that, I'd urge you in that direction. And there are some books I could recommend to you. I would read every book that Father Jacques Philippe has written. He has several of these little volumes. I, I call it The Interior Life for Dummies. <laughs> uh, it's, it's put in such a simple language, but it's mm-hmm. so deep and profound. Couldn't recommend those writings more. There's also a course that we offer at the Theology of the Body Institute by Father Timothy Gallagher. By the way, both of these people, Father Timothy Gallagher <laughs> Father Timothy Gallagher and Father Jacques Philippe, they are both presenters in the virtual conference. So make sure you check out their talks. But they're also, uh, Father Gallagher is on our faculty and he teaches a course on uh, Ignatian discernment and the theology of the body, which is very, very important for spiritual direction. So those are the resources I'd recommend to you, Rosemary. I'd like to add to that, um, because Rosemary, I don't know what your exposure is to Theology of the Body. Christopher has written a book 
called Theology of the Body for Beginners that is just an excellent way to get very comfortable with just an overview of John Paul's teaching. If you're familiar with that already and you have certainly some time of theological study, I would really recommend The Word Made Flesh, also by Christopher, in that I think that he really um, looks more deeply in that book at the, the deeper issues that come up in people's hearts as they're growing spiritually that I think, you know, it's, it's a longer book, but really um, just. Are, there, are you, it's not, the word made flesh is not a, those, that's the Sunday. I'm sorry, not the word made flesh, the, the gospel of. Oh, the gospel of the body. Oh, so sorry. That's okay. That's okay. One. Gospel of the body yeah, is yeah, the yeah, one yeah. I meant. Yes. Yeah. What's the full title of that? Uh, uh, no, not gospel of the body. Now I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember my book. Okay. What was, no, you're talking about the uh, at the heart of the gospel. Is that the one yes, you're talking about? Yes. Reclaiming the body for the new evangelization. Oh, good. That's the one I meant. Well, at the heart of the gospel. Yeah. Okay. At the heart of the gospel. Yeah. That's that. That would be. You're right. That would be the next step. Yeah. But while you while you're mentioning Word Made Flesh, that could also help too. That's a three volume series. That is a reflection on the Sunday readings, mm-hmm. and it just it helps you get in the flow of reading Scripture with the glasses that John Paul II gave. So, so that you, was a good mistake. You I are made. you are entirely <laughs> entitled to confuse my books because I <laughs> I confuse them too. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I hope that's helpful to you, Rosemary. So we're going to go for another question here. The next question is, this is from Kira Shea if I'm saying your name correctly. How do you help individuals with same-sex attraction to learn about theology of the body? Okay, Kirishay, I would really recommend that you, there are a few talks on the conference this weekend that you should listen to. One I already mentioned was Anna Carter. Uh, There's another one from Andrew Comiskey and another one from Hudson Biblo. Uh, Go to, as a starter, go to those three talks in the virtual conference, they um, each of them have had their own struggles in this arena and have found real hope and uh, healing uh, and a new integration through the gift of St. John Paul II and his theology of the body. So please do take advantage of those. I think a very important point that Anna Carter brought out in her talk, I haven't yet listened to Andrew's or Hudson's talk But a very important point that Anna brought out is the truth that what John Paul II is holding out to us is for all of us. It's very important that we don't create a separate category of human being here Mm. and say you have heterosexuals over here and then you have homosexuals over here and then you have bisexuals over here. All of these categories we have are fracturing our humanity. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, there's, there's some circumstances, I would say, in which those categories could be helpful. But by and large, I think they may do more damage to the way we understand ourselves. The only thing that really exists, we have these words heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, pansexuality, But all of these prefixes that we're putting on the word really confuse the meaning of the word. And the word that we're referring to here is sexuality. Mm -hmm. Sexuality refers in itself, in the very word, 
refers to the difference. And if you realize that, when you put the prefix homo onto homosexuality, what you're saying is same difference. Right. That's a contradiction in terms. When you, when you say heterosexuality, you're being redundant, different difference. Mm-hmm. That's what it means when you look at the roots of those, those words. So the point being made is, and Anna was bringing this out in her reflection, that the theology of the body applies to all of us in our sexuality, in our sexual identity. What does that mean? Jesus says, haven't you read that in the beginning, God made them male and female? So there's a beginning plan. Anna's whole ministry is called Eden Invitation. So beautiful. It's an invitation back to the beginning where where the original beautiful plan of God for making us male and female is fully revealed. And here's the good news of redemption, that Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. So in answer to this question, how do we how do we minister to those with these particular struggles? In the same way we minister to to anyone, we all have struggles. None of us are living God's beautiful original plan. We are all broken here. And Anna said this other thing I really like. She said, we're in this together. This is a journey we're in together. We're all broken. And there's a gap between where we are and where we're all meant to be. But it's in that gap that grace Mm. is operative. It's so hopeful. And it, it helps us to see we're all broken here. We are. I, I like to say it this way. We are all sexually disoriented. Mm. None of us experience sexual desire as God created it to be in the beginning. We experience it in all kinds of disordered, broken ways. And so, we're all in the same boat. We're all in need of this redirection of desire, this healing of desire. And not that we don't have particular struggles. We do. There are differences to be made, distinctions that that can and should be made. But overall, I think it's very important to realize we're we're all broken and we're all in need of, in many ways, the same healing. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to mention too, you, you spoke about Eden Invitation and also Andrew Comiskey represents another important ministry that um, I think our listeners might want to know yeah, about. Yeah, Living Waters. Living Waters is a program that's run through a ministry called Desert Stream. And if you go to Andy's talk, you'll see links to that. Please learn more about what Andrew Comiskey is doing through mm-hmm. his very important work. I met Andrew Comiskey, gosh, uh, over 20 years ago, and he was a Protestant at the time. And he had already been working for over 20 years at that point in ministry, helping the sexually broken. And uh, I introduced him to John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and that began quite a a journey for him into a direction that eventually led him into the the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. We have such a wealth in people like Andrew Comiskey, who have been at this now for over 40 years, ministering to the sexually broken and He's, he's doing beautiful work integrating John Paul II's Theology of the Body into that. So, please, please look look up his resources and, and his ministry in his presentation. You'll see the link. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, we'll, we'll put a link to Desert Stream Ministries and Andrew mm-hmm. Comiskey's work in the show notes. Yes. This is a question about organ donation. So, this is from um, Molly. She asks, what would the view of Theology of the Body be on donating your body as an organ donor or to medical schools for students 
to dissect? That's a great question, Molly. I don't think in the history of our podcast we've ever gotten that question. And I, that's uh, I kind know. of surprising. I like it. I like it too. Yeah, organ donation. So we can go right back to the source and summit of our faith, which is the Eucharist, where Christ says, this is my body given up for you. And there is a place, a beautiful place, a sacred place for being willing to say, you can have my kidney, you can have my liver, mm. you can have my you can have my heart. There are there are some technical questions here that I'll leave to the medical professionals about. And there have been some concerns, I think possibly legitimate concerns raised by Catholics about the moment of of death and making sure we're not harvesting someone's organs before death. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, when you have two of an organ, like you have two um, kidneys. kidneys, thank you, two kidneys, you can donate one of your kidneys, right, when you're alive. It's a beautiful, it can be, let's just put it that way, can be a beautiful gift of self in the very spirit of Eucharistic self-giving. This is my body given up for you. I will add this, and I find this fascinating, that there is an official statement from the Vatican I read maybe 10 years ago or more that always stayed with me. There are two organs that are so personal to who I am as a human being or who you are as Mm -hmm. a human being, Wendy, that the church says you cannot, there's so much you Mm -hmm. that you cannot give them to someone else. Do you know what they are? I think... I'm thinking of three, so I'm sh- not sure if I'm correct, but brain, the brain and, and yep. the ovaries or testicles. Yes. Oh, yeah. Gonads. So, okay. yeah. Brain Great. and gonads. So, you cannot donate your brain to somebody else, and you cannot donate, if you're a woman, your ovaries, and if a man, your testicles. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Right. Talk about insight into the mystery of our sexuality and what it says of our person. Mm-hmm. And we tend to think the heart is so personal, you, you shouldn't donate your heart. Well, no, the church says it's okay to donate your heart, but it's not okay to donate your gonads, your testicles or your ovaries. And this question also included not only giving to a living person who is in need of an organ transplant, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's but also part. for medical Science. research or yeah. just learning. And it's interesting that we have the word donate right there mm-hmm. when we talk about the self-donative meaning of the body. It yeah. almost seems like there couldn't be a contra- contradiction. I would say that certainly just in our Catholic faith, in our belief in the importance of the corporal work of mercy of burying the dead, that one would expect that the body would eventually be returned for burial. So I yes. think, but other than that, I don't see any contradiction. There. Yeah, there, no, there is nothing inherently wrong with donating your body to science, assuming that what would be done with your body is truly for the good of mm. mankind mm-hmm. and not not be putting your body into some abusive situation or where your your body would be used for unethical right. goals. But yes, I, I would I would imagine that when the body has been properly experimented with, as the scientists would would do, and one would certainly hope and desire in a reverential way, that after that point the body should have a proper burial. In your work, have you ever encountered someone who had worked with the cadaver? Any reflection Gosh, on that? Gosh, I don't. Uh, 
it's ringing. Well, certainly I've, I've had funeral directors mm. who've come to my courses. That's right. And they ha- I have had some fascinating conversations with them about their experience of working with, mm. with dead bodies mm-hmm. and their uh, profound reverence for, mm-hmm. for dead bodies. I don't have a recollection right now of talking to anybody who's worked mm-hmm. with cadavers in terms of medical science, but um, yeah, nothing inherently wrong with it can be, in fact, a very, very good uh, and even holy thing to to donate your body for proper scientific investigation for the good of others. Okay, this is a question from Amelia. She asks, I would really like to hear your advice how to avoid the way of the Stoic. Hi, Amelia. Bless you. I can tell you you're familiar with my teaching, so for those who are listening who may not be familiar with what you're getting at there, let me give a little background. I talk about in my writings and my lectures uh, the three choices we have with eros, with that erotic longing for love, for union. And I say we're either going to go the way of the stoic, the addict, or the mystic. Mm. And the stoic is the one who tries to repress desire, maybe out of fear, maybe out of a misguided notion of, of holiness Uh, thinking that holiness demands that we repress desires. The addict is the one who goes the way of the secular culture and just indulges those desires in all kinds of disordered ways. And you end up becoming addicted to the pleasures of the world. And here I'd like to give a, a theological definition of addiction, which differs from a psychological definition of addiction. But I would say, theologically, Addiction happens when we aim our desire for infinite joy, which means our desire for union with God, when we aim our desire for infinite joy at finite pleasures. Or we could put it this way, when we aim our desire for God at anything less than God. We are made for an infinite satisfaction. We are made for an infinite fulfillment. When we take that desire to something finite, it never satisfies. So we think we need more. We go and we get more, still doesn't satisfy. The way of the aspiring mystic, to aspire to the mystical life, which we're all called to aspire to, that does not mean that we should expect we're going to get the stigmata like Padre Pio or right. have bodily levitations like Teresa of Avila. But we are all called to what the catechism describes as the ordinary entering into the mystery of Christ. That's what we mean by the mystical life, entering into the mystery of Christ. The aspiring mystic learns how to open his or her desire for the infinite to the infinite. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is, here I'm quoting Pope Benedict XVI, who's drawing from the fathers of the church. He says, prayer properly understood is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. That's Mm. what prayer is is. Mm -hmm. That's what we're all called to become, a longing for God. That's the mystical life. So, back to the question was, I forget the question. How do you avoid avoid being a Stoic? Being a Stoic. Well, there's the answer. By learning how to pray, by learning how to get in touch with those desires and open them up. And I, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I think Anna Carter, in her talk, and I'm going to also suggest 
Jacques Philippe, Father Jacques Philippe is giving a talk at the conference on becoming a longing for God, that prayer as longing for God. And Anna said it very well. She said, prayer is what opened me up to my real desires. And I learned, she, she shares her own journey of learning how to open those desires to the Lord and take them to the Lord. And here's the key point. As you experience them, the, I, I grew up with this impression of prayer as where I go put on my holy mask before God and say holy things to God. Well, exposing your heart as it really is, that itself is holy. Not to say that everything in your heart is holy, but exposing even what is unholy to the Lord is how we grow in holiness. Mm. Uh, So the opposite of the stoic life, that repressive approach, the opposite of that is true, authentic prayer where we, we ask for the grace, Lord, help me get in touch with my longings rather than stuff them, rather than try to snuff them out, rather than trying to suffocate them. Lord, I ask you please to liberate these longings in my heart so that I can bring them to you, that I can present them to you. The catechism says it so well. And uh, Jeanette Clark quotes this in her talk at the virtual conference that uh, prayer is where we let our masks fall off mm-hmm. and we bring ourselves to the Lord as we really are, allowing Him to transform and purify us. So important. So, so the answer to your question is you must learn how to pray. And I agree with all of that. And I just had a thought to share yeah. from some personal experience um, there was a time when I had, I remember our fifth child was just a baby. So I had children up from like 11 down to new baby that I was caring for and homeschooling. And I was helping. We were caring for and homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> At least I was trying to help. Well, I'm going to describe how it impacted oh, okay. me. Okay, sorry, sorry. I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> I just didn't want the whole world to think you were the only one. Very good point. Okay. I'm done now. (laughs) Not getting good sleep, kind of being physically exhausted for a long time. And I remember I got to go to a presentation where you were speaking and you were talking about desire and opening our desires to the Lord. And I remember sitting there in my semi-zombie state from all this time of just kind of exhaustion and thinking, you know, I don't even know what my desires are. And I want to just encourage those who are hearing about stoicism and kind of maybe getting the vibe like stoic bad. Oh, no, I'm bad. I've done the wrong thing that can kind of cause an anxiety in in response. Mm -hmm. When I was sitting there in that talk, I felt like I don't even know how to open my desires to God because I don't know what my desires are. And so I just had to start right there at the beginning and say, Lord, stir up my desires. If they've kind of been pressed down for a long time and not you were not even in touch with them, let's not waste time just feeling somehow now suddenly I have to feel bad about myself. Yes, that's that's a, not what the yeah. message is meant to be at all. But just to cry out in our weakness and say, Lord, I don't even know my own desires, show me my desires, and I'll open them to you. So, I, I just wanted to share that with... It's uh, a very the, good point, Wendy, and I can I point something out? Mm-hmm. As you're sharing that, what you're really saying is, 
you were getting in touch with your desires. Your desire was to know your desire. Mm, right. That's a desire. You got in touch with it. Yeah. And you opened that to the Lord. Right. Which is exactly the point. Mm-hmm. To what, what are your desires as you experience them? And if you say, I don't know what my desires are, then I- implicit in that is a desire to know what your right. desires are. Yes. So there's, there's a desire to open up to the Lord, which you did. Right. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Okay, just a clarification on that um, stoicism. Yes. Uh, somebody said, I missed the middle thing. So, you talked about the stoic. <laughs> and the mystic? You missed the addict? Addict, missed... there you go. Okay, yeah, the addict is the, the one. Here, here I'm going to say this about the addict. Who is closer to the mystic, the stoic or the addict? The addict is actually closer to the mystic because the addict is in touch with his desire. He's taking it to the wrong place, but he's in touch with it. And that's a good starting point. I'm not saying it's good to be an addict. I'm saying it's better than being a stoic, but both you can, you can die from starvation. That's the stoic approach. You can also die from food poisoning. That's the addict approach, right? Both lead to death. It's like the, the prodigal son. He, he left because he was in touch with his desire, but he was deceived in thinking his father couldn't satisfy it or wouldn't. So he went seeking it on his own. But it was that same desire that brought him back. Whereas the older brother wouldn't go into the party. And that's, that's the real danger here is that we don't enter the banquet. The older brother, in a sense, represents that stoic approach. He was following all the rules. He was doing all the right things, but he wasn't really in touch with his desire. The desire that, that is placed at the deepest level of our hearts is to enter that party in the Father's house. And to refuse to go in is really a, a shutting down of that desire. So, St. Augustine said it this way. He says, those who are lost in their passions are less lost than those who have lost their passions. Uh, but again, no, as Wendy was saying, this is not, you know, if you feel like you've lost your passions, you don't even know what you desire, no need to beat yourself up here. Just say, Lord, show me what I desire. Get me in touch with the desires of my heart. There's your desire right there. Your desire is to get in touch with your desire. So you're already getting in touch with desire in your heart in that very, in that very fact. Um, we have a question from someone named Christopher Good name. Hey, Christopher. (laughs) I'm going to try to um, summarize the question. Uh, Christopher works with children who have been abused. Oh, bless you, brother. Or have serious trauma. Wow. Maybe not just children, youth, it says. Okay. And Thank you, brother, for giving your life to that. God bless you. In that work, there's an issue that comes up with contraception for these youth that maybe are in difficult family situations doesn't know how to obey the church teaching in that context of working with those youth in those abusive situations. Do you think he's asking about people who who are in danger of being sexually assaulted? It seems like that's, yes, that's implied. So, so what's implied might be to take a, a, a young woman who's in a situation where she has good reason to believe she may be... Right in a position where she's going to be sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Is she obligated uh, in this case to allow the sperm to do its, to reach its goal? 
mm-hmm. uh, in conceiving. No, she's not. Okay. If a person is has been raped, uh, it's such a horrid, horrid, mm-hmm. even word. Um, it's it's one of those words that just stings and pierces, and for good reason because being violated at that level is such a trauma to the whole human being. That person in a traumatized sexual situation has no obligation whatsoever to allow that that violent man's sperm to reach her egg. She has no obligation whatsoever. If she can do something to prevent the sperm from reaching that egg, then she is entirely within the bounds of uh, what is appropriate to seek to do so. There is a difference, however, and this is a very important distinction. If that sperm of that violator does reach that egg, now we have another life that has its own rights. Mm-hmm. So there is, we have no right, even, even when that child is the result of a, a sexual assault, we have no right to take the life of an existing human being. But nor do we have any obligation in a sexual assault to allow the sperm to reach the egg. Mm -hmm. And if that can be prevented, then that is within the bounds of what is what is appropriate. Is that is that your sense of what the where the question was coming from? Yes, but I also feel like there's sort of confusion in the the way that different contraceptives work and the you know, there's something available over the counter called plan B, which I I don't know if either one of us is fully knowledgeable to yeah. answer the question in terms of whether an, a hormonal contraceptive could also cause. Yes, a, I'll, I'll reserve I'll reserve the medical questions to those who know better than I. But I can I can give the moral principle, right? Which is what I had just outlined that if you can do something to prevent the sperm from reaching the egg in a sexual assault. You are not obligated to allow that sperm to reach the egg. But if the sperm has reached the egg and you're doing something that you are hoping may prevent conception, but in fact is taking the life of an existing human being, then we're no longer dealing with preventing sperm to reach reaching the egg in a sexual assault. We're now dealing with killing another human being who, who exists. And that's, that's maybe the most important thing to take especially as you're looking at your work with abused young people, is that abortion is the worst abuse of a young person. And you are in a place in your work to protect not only the people that you see in front of you, but unseen people who are every bit as precious to the Lord. So as you're seeking more detailed answers to the moral approaches to this very painful situation— I would just give thanks that the Lord has given you the gift of faith that allows you to see equally the dignity of the young person in, that you can see and the you know the potential unborn person as well. I would I would add this that one of the wonders of the Lord one of the things that for all eternity we will be in absolute awe to behold is how God, in his almighty power, love, and goodness, takes the darkest moments of our lives, the most horrific sufferings 
of all of history and turns them into glory. This is our faith. God himself came in the flesh and descended into our hell Mm. to go down into the very depths of hell, to pull it up from its tail, if you will, and, and reverse it, to like turn it inside out, to go down into the depths of hell so that he could grab it by the tail and ascend to the heights of heaven, turning that horror into glory. This is our faith. I want to be grafted into the church because I believe that the church is where that happens. It's where the redemption is worked out because we are grafted into Christ by being baptized into him. And my point in saying this is that God, even here in this life, is always looking to work his wonders in our most traumatic places to do miracles of grace. And the conception of a new life even as the result of a horrific act of sexual violation, is a sign of the presence of the Lord in that hell, Hmm. working out his greatest miracle, which is the creation of another human life. And to, to say... Well, that, that's, you're just going to add trauma onto trauma by having that woman carry that child is actually to miss out on the true healing, redeeming power for goodness, the greatest goodness imaginable to be brought out of something so dark. It really is a symbol of Christ descending into hell and then redeeming that hell and lifting us to the heights of heaven. So, I, I offer that for people to reflect upon there. There, there is a hell. There's an absolute hell involved here. But the Lord can, will, and wants to transform those hellish experiences into glory. And we, we must trust him to do that and allow him to do that. Mm-hmm. Do we have time for one more? I think we have time for one more. Teresa asks, her husband says that it's her duty to have sex with him every 48 hours so that he doesn't have to masturbate. Otherwise, she's keeping him from getting to heaven. Okay, I have some immediate uh, righteous indignation towards this husband. And I'm going to call you out, brother. I'm going to call you out because I love you and I desire your true liberation and freedom. And I desire your wife to be liberated from the unloving burden that you are placing on her. And here's where I'm calling you out, brother. You have a duty. You have a duty to gain mastery of your sexual desires. That is your duty. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Does any husband do this perfectly? Absolutely not. I could list hundreds of ways I have failed you, my love, in this regard. But it is the call. And when we refuse to accept our own duty to grow in self-mastery, we put a tremendous burden on our spouse. We could put it this way. Brother, if you are not in control of your sexual desires, you will inevitably seek to control your wife to gratify them. That is not love. And in love for you, my brother, in that prison, because I know that prison. I've been in that prison. I've been in the prison of being mastered by my sexual desires rather than being master of my sexual desires. And it wrought havoc in my life and in the lives of others when I was in that bondage. 
And I'm here not just to call you out in a challenging, confrontational way, brother. I'm here to speak to your heart and say, there is freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. I urge you, I invite you along the way of that freedom. And I urge you, I invite you, I beg you, stop putting that burden on your wife. That is a burden she is not meant to carry. She cannot carry. What is the duty here? What is the call? Is self-mastery so that you can become a true gift to your wife. John Paul II said it this way, only those who are master of themselves and their desires are capable of being a gift to others. It's a long road, self-mastery. The catechism says no one can ever say I've acquired it once and for all. It's a long road, but it's a road that you are invited to walk, to walk with Christ and allow him to walk it with you, to bring you into freedom. There's so many resources here at the Theology of the Body Institute to help you walk into that freedom. Please, please take us up in helping you to do that. We're here to help you do that. But do not, do not put the burden of your own lack of self-mastery upon your wife. That's what I have to say about that. (laughs) Thank you. Do you want to add anything to that, Wendy? I think... Uh, you do speak from experience, and it's a, an experience of encountering Christ in that place where it didn't seem for a time that Christ had anything to do with it. It just it seemed at that time when it was mastering you, just unavoidable and kind of a topic that would cause anger. And it's like this angry controlling of someone else. And so... I just also, I guess, want to offer a prayer for the person who submitted this question, yes, yes. the wife, to know that the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. And mm. that every part of you that feels a righteous anger that you have not been treated as the beautiful woman and gift that you are, the Lord is angry about that too. And I think if you heard anger in Christopher's voice, it's, it's in part because of that, that there's... It's a, a righteous it's, anger. It's a righteous It's what anger. you heard. You shared this in, right. your, in, in, in my your, talk. In I talked talk. about the Lord having, kind of healing my heart through just a righteous anger at being mistreated. So I just want to share that as a, a prayer for your heart, that, that there's a, it's very wounding to be controlled, to be the object of someone's anger, because there is an, an anger in, connected with all of this, um, a prayer that you would know the Lord's true, deep, abiding love for you, and that if you are the only one participating in this conference, if your husband isn't, that this came out in this chat, you know, I'm very grateful that you decided to open up this painful area of your life. And I want to offer hope to you that the Lord can enter in and bring healing and redemption to your heart. You know, there's so many testimonies, I guess, available on this conference that I think the Lord will continue to lead you to find those um, examples of how to journey closer to His heart and not allow these things that have um, just examples of the woundedness of our sexuality so many examples of how the Lord has set people free and I pray for that for you and for all of you 
and all of us. <laughs> thank you, Wendy. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in on this Zoom call. Thanks, everybody. We hope it was a blessing for you. Yes. A big shout out to our regular podcast listeners. And yeah. uh, remember, as always, you are an unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Woo! Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Mm-hmm.